2: The only daily Premier League podcast. This is Football Social Daily.
1: Hello and welcome to the weekend review edition of the Football Social Daily. And let's face it, what a weekend it has Been All 20 teams in action across the last 48 hours, and to be honest, it's had everything you could ask for. Two six-goal thrillers, three managerial debuts, and plenty, plenty more as the Premier League roared back after the international break. But despite a cracking weekend of action, in reality, there is only one place to start on tonight's show – Manchester United and Ole Gunnar Solskjaer have finally, finally parted ways as a 4-1 humbling away at Watford proved to be the final straw at Old Trafford for the Norwegian. United have since confirmed that Michael Carrick will be stepping in on an interim basis and here on FSD, we'll be getting the very latest reaction to Ole's departure and asking what next at United. And alongside the high drama off the pitch, We'll also be looking at some impressive performances from the premier league's leading lights liverpool back in action ruthlessly ended arsenal's 10-game unbeaten streak with a 4-0 route at anfield and then in part two we'll be delving into chelsea they're still leading the way in the premier league thanks to a 3-0 win over leicester and steven gerrard picked up his first win as a premier league manager as he kicked off his new gig at Aston Villa. And then to wrap it all up, if we've still got time, if we've still got energy, we'll be heading around the grounds for the other six games this weekend. Dean Smith enjoyed a dream start at Norwich, and Eddie Howe enjoyed a socially distanced debut at St. James's. Right then, absolutely stacks to get through. My name's Fergal Brennan, and joining me tonight, we have the hottest Ollie takes in town with the Stretford Paddocks finest, Jay Motty. Jay, how's things? Yeah,
0: um, yeah. alright. <laughs> Considering everything that's going on, it just all feels a bit strange to be honest with you In a minute. Even though we knew it was coming, it still feels weird that Ole Gunnar Solskjaer is no longer the manager.
1: I think that's fair enough. I think as you say, even though it was expected, when it finally is ticked off, it is, it is a little bit strange. And alongside Jay, we have the Manchester City correspondent for The Athletic, Sam Lee. A little bit of a quieter weekend for you, Sam?
3: Uh, Yeah, yeah, you could could say that. Yeah, I mean, a 3-0 home win against Everton is is about as business as usual as as it gets for City. And yeah, considering what's going on at Old Trafford, I'm sure they're very happy with that.
1: Indeed. Right, Jay, we're going to have to go to you first on this. It's become a bit of a joke on the Sunday night show that after a big game or a big result or big piece of news, you're always the United fan that's uh, kind of offered up. And they don't come much bigger than this in terms of new stories coming out of Manchester United. Just looking over some of the facts and some of the numbers behind it, just shy of three years in charge at Old Trafford, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer has left Manchester United. 4-1 defeat. At Watford yesterday as we mentioned in the intro that was seen as the final straw for Oli at United These crisis points have been reached in the last few weeks where we assumed that United were going to remove Solskjaer from his position He stayed on he's battled on but this was essentially seen as just a step too far And that's kind of what I want to ask you in terms of your immediate reaction to the decision 5-0 defeat to Liverpool 2-0 defeat to Manchester City in the derby but this was seen as a step too far. Four goals conceded away from home at Watford, and what Solsha himself described in his final uh, post-match interview as United boss, the worst performance under his managership.
0: Yeah, I mean, I'd probably disagree. I'd say that the Liverpool game was the worst performance under his managership. But I mean, it's you know it's hardly anything to argue about really. They're both very poor. I was surprised. <laughs> yeah, I was surprised um, to be honest with you that he wasn't sacked after the Liverpool game I thought when you saw that, that first half performance in particular against against Liverpool you thought that was it. They just they can't carry on like this. Managed to sort of get the result against Spurs, then you go into the Derby, completely toothless in that game. Again though, keeps keep, keeps his job. And then we go into the Watford game and whilst you can have some excuses against Liverpool and, and City because of the level and the, the quality they've got even though the, the, the manner of the performance was unacceptable, you can literally say, OK, you've lost to a very good team, you've lost to you know, the, the champions or title contenders. Watford, who were struggling, I think they were 17th, haven't really put a run together since Ranieri took over. I think they won one out of the last five or something. And it just tore United apart, it tore us apart. That first half in particular, you know, it's typical United to sort of save two penalties and still go into the uh, half-time behind. It was, just, it was just shambolic, it really was. And when you've got your captain, a player that you spent £80 million on, you made your captain, gets a silly booking, and then five minutes later, whatever it is, gets another booking because he's trying to dribble the ball out of defence, Gets to, does a bad touch, loses it to Tom Cleverley, of all people, and then lunges in and gets himself a second yeller, throws his armband on the floor, and then walks off, and you give him a high five. That just summed up everything that's going wrong for Ole Gunnar Solskjaer um, at United. And it? it's sad to see because I love Ole, I love what he's done as a player. And I don't want us to rewrite history about him as a manager. I think there's been a lot of positives there. You know, it's, it's a shame we didn't get a trophy, but that's not the be all and end all. There has been, you know, some high high finishes in the league, looking finishing third and finishing second. But he's just fallen short. He's just not quite got it what, what it takes to challenge the very top uh, managers in, in the Premier League. And that's, that's a shame because, you know, we all love Ole, but the last few weeks, have just been awful. They have, you know, those results and those games you've spoken about, we've spoken about just nowhere near where we need to be as a, as a, as a football club and now we're going to this sort of grey area where we've got important games coming up, Villarreal game where if we lose that, then our place in the Champions League is going to be, you know, in jeopardy. You've also got games against likes of Chelsea and Arsenal as well, which if you know you've got a real chance of getting the top four, you need to get something from them and you've not even got the the interim manager you've got the caretaker manager who's going to look after the job until you get an interim manager who's going to look after it until you get a permanent ma- manager I mean it's just a farce in it really let's have it right this is just this is just we're just in the banter era at United in a minute
1: Sam in terms of Solskjaer's legacy at Manchester United as Jay say you can't really rewrite his performance as manager as a player he's he's well established in, in United folklore in terms of what he did there and the goals that he scored and the trophies that he won but ultimately that trophy that he failed to win at Manchester United is the big thing and he's done an interview with MUTV this morning based on his exit and he's talked about small margins and the penalty shootout against Real in the final last season one of those penalties gets missed or United score the one that's a big trophy that eases the pressure on him and this has kind of set the tone for a lot of what's been circulating on social media of United fans as Jay say wishing him well but essentially admitting that he's come up short and there's a really interesting quote from his interview with MUTV He said, I look back at every single second here with pride. Everyone knows I've given everything for this club. I did want to take us to the next level. I did want to take us on and win trophies. But unfortunately, I just couldn't get the results we needed. And it's time for me to step aside. Now, that does seem fairly gracious in terms of the way that he's phrased it and the way that he is looking to step away. What is Solskjaer's legacy as United boss? Because it's ended quite messily. That's quite a neat, heartfelt interview from him. But it's not been good in the last few months. Was it, uh, there's a lot to unpack there. Like in, in terms of the legacy, I suppose it depends who you ask. Like I saw
3: in a WhatsApp group with my mates this morning a screenshot of a, a Twitter poll saying who's been the, the worst United manager since Ferguson and like Solskjaer had like thirty five percent of the vote, which was like way more than the others. The second was Moyes, and then like Van Hal and Mourinho had similar, but I think Solskjaer's probably been one of probably been one of the better ones. Like I think he's done like don't get me wrong. He's not good enough and he's taken United as far as he can. And even if they'd won the Europa League, which is one of the things to unpack, I would still be saying the same thing. And I, I wouldn't have thought he was the man to take United forward, even when he signed the contract in the summer and even before that. But in terms of his legacy, I don't think he's been the worst. Uh, you, uh, you know, he said in that interview, which I'm sure will have, you know, people not necessarily feeling sorry for him, but may, you know maybe cooling down a bit. He said he hopes he's left United in a better place than when he found it. I think he has done. Um, we'll go on to the interim manager stuff. But I think they've got a good squad. You know, he's Again, I, I, I can't emphasize this enough. I don't think he was the right man for United. I never, ever thought United were going to win the Premier League under him. I thought he's worlds apart from Klopp, Guardiola, Tuchel, and even other managers in the Premier League, to be fair. But he, he did leave it. In a better position than he found it, and like I say, they've got a good squad. And yeah, whoever this interim manager is going to be, a lot stranger things have happened. And I'm not saying United are going to win the Champions League, but when Chelsea sacked their manager, got Di Matteo in, won the Champions League. You look at that squad at United. There's a lot. There is a lot to work with there, and there's no point in them writing off this season with Spurs and Arsenal finding a bit of form and three points behind, four points behind fourth place. They are in a better place than when he left. So in terms of his legacy. Like Jay said, it's it's banter era, is I think United fans can appreciate that, or at least lament that. Fans of other clubs are always going to take the piss, but ultimately, he did a decent job. But you know, as with the whole United debate, there's bigger issues at United than who the manager is, and he should never have really got this far into into a tenure, to be honest. But yeah, in terms of the legacy, I think I would say overall a good job, but it will—I'm sure it will be seen as a bad job.
1: Jay, just before we move on to the next steps and the interim manager situation and what comes next for for Michael Carrick taking over, I want to talk about some of the players that have been involved pretty heavily in the last 24 hours. Harry Maguire, you mentioned there, was sent off, two yellow cards, really disappointing situation. He's come in for a massive amount of criticism in the last few weeks. We've all read and seen the kind of beef that he's had with Roy Keane, then the celebration when he was away with England. But alongside that, you have Bruno Fernandes at the end of the game yesterday kind of going over to the fans and and calling on them to not criticise Oli or boo Oli at full time, you know, lay their blame on the players. And then... David De Gea's post-game interview where he was pretty straightforward, but also, again, some of the comments. He said it was an embarrassment the way that they played. The first half was very poor and just not acceptable from Manchester United. Um, But he's also said that they don't know how they're meant to be playing. They don't know what they're meant to be doing on the pitch. And all of this kind of feeds into this idea that there is a lot of toxicity floating around. And Solskjaer has now obviously stepped away. There may be a bit of revisionism in terms of his, his time as United manager but there are senior players at Manchester United that do need to carry some some big responsibility for this.
0: Yeah, yeah, they, they do and I think that's that's the shame because you know Ollie's never he's never it's not like Jose where Jose was throwing people under the bus left, right and center, you know, was sort of being publicly critical of him or subbing them halfway through the game and making it clear why he was subbing them and all that sort of stuff. Um Ollie has been quite loyal to his players and you can understand why Bruno was was the way he was. Obviously Ollie brought him brought him in and I kind of get it from Bruno. I know it's not the the, the greatest idea to be telling fans what to do when they're booing and they're (laughs) angry, but I understand it. He was showing that loyalty and he's quite a passionate guy. And and From what you can see, Bruno, he's he's pretty much his own worst critic as well. Didn't have a great game against Watford and probably been frustrated with himself, and that's why he's saying, you know, blame me and blame the players and what have you. Um, Harry Maguire is a different situation. I don't know what's going on with Maguire lately. I've I've always sort of defended Maguire and stuck up for him because I think he is a a top-quality defender. I think he is just going through a bad spell, but it hasn't been a great few weeks. You know, it just seems to be a little bit of drama around him at the minute. You know, the celebration and the, the this, then the sending off and all this sort of stuff, and this whole Roy Keane spat, which doesn't do anyone any favors. And I think it's just sort of, even though it's over exaggerated a little bit, it's just a bit silly. Um, and then David De Gea coming out with what he said as well. I don't know if he's trying to help the situation or trying to be kind, but it certainly it didn't didn't help the situation. I know the situation's already done, but it just adds to this air of what is going on here it just seems like you know it is a bit of a fractured dressing room and and people don't seem to to know what's going on and there's just a lack of leadership um so that is what something the new manager's got to fix just as ollie Ollie came into a similar situation not i don't think the situation now is anywhere near as bad as it was under jose under jose you had just players who just didn't want to be there at all falling out with the manager it was just proper toxic ollie came in and rejuvenated Everyone, I don't think it's as bad this time round. I think what sort of Sam was saying about you know the 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 way that all sort of sort this club and, and done with it. You know he's done a decent job, and I think that you know he deserves credit for that. For that, sorry, but there are problems there, and there are big problems that a manager is going to have to sort out because you have basically got a lot of players who probably all think they deserve to be starting. Whether that's Jesse Lingard, whether that's Jadon Sancho, whether that's Donny Van der Beek, Ronaldo, Cavani, Pogba. You know Rashford, whoever, especially attacking-wise, you've got all these players who want to start. You've got this this sort of accusation that keeps getting pointed at the team that there's no style, there's no sort of style of play. You don't know what they're, what they're trying to do. So, a new manager's got to implement that. He's got to get a team that's sort of settled. He's got to basically tell some people they're not in the team and he's got to get a style there as well so there's a lot to do but it's doable I feel I feel like it is because you've still got quality players there it's not like this is a bad team this is a team that finished second last season then added Raphael Varane one of the best defenders around um, Jaden Sancho one of the best young attackers around and Cristiano Ronaldo to its squad so it's not like there's a lack of quality there there's just a lack of cohesion and that's ultimately what's been all his downfall you know when you've got your most experienced player saying he doesn't know what was going on and you've got you know your captain getting sent off and you know one of your best players arguing with the fans telling him to blame him not you then there's obviously issues there in there so there's a lot of the for the new manager to to do but i think it is doable it's just going to take a bit of time
1: Obviously, attention now, Sam, is going to turn on to who the new manager is. Michael Carrick's come in in this, in this caretaker role, and United have been quite clear in the statement that they are looking to appoint an interim manager, whether that's Carrick, whether that's someone else, but only until the end of the season. Real in midweek in the Champions League, and then Chelsea and Arsenal next up in the Premier League. Given the way that United have structured this with, with Carrick coming in and taking over, whether that's for a week, whether that's for to the end of the season does that demonstrate that already United have earmarked who they want to take over long term?
3: I mean, it's tempting to to think that, and they may well have, but I don't think anybody's really got much faith in the United board to, to, have, that, to have that kind of clear plan. I mean, it, it does suggest that, but mm, I would be sceptical. I mean, they probably put the feelers out. I mean, there's a decent chance they put the feelers out and, you know, I don't think the Zidane thing's going to happen so that goes to show that it's not going to be him because if he's available and there was an option they wouldn't say into him. Um, is it going to be Rodgers at the end of the season? More likely Pochettino? You know, is he going to get the sack from PSG? Possibly. But then you can't put all your eggs in that basket because what if they do win the Champions League? He ain't going to quit and they're going to sack him. Um, it's, it's, it is a strange one. The thing with Carrick getting the job there is it's too similar to what they what they had already. Mm-hmm. and I think in terms of what Jay said in terms of problems that need fixing that's not going to be a fix you know when Mourinho went Solskjaer was perfect because you know it was a toxic camp and you know there are there is a bit of a split there and I think there are people who are happy that Solskjaer left but I don't think it's toxic and also if they're happy he left they're not going to be happy just to see Carrick come in and do the same kind of thing so whoever this interim manager is there's been rumours of Laurent Blanc hasn't there I mean who's going to who's going to be more interim and better than than Carrick, mm. they're still going to want to leave at the end of the season. And then they might be thinking, well, if we have a good run of form, I'll get the job anyway, which is what happened with Solskjaer. So it is a bit of a mess. Um, and I don't know if they think they've got their man in the summer or not, because I don't know who that would be. I don't know who could definitively, at the stage of having the, the contract now, say, yeah, I'll leave at the end of the season. Because, um, Poch- I mean, Pochettino seems more likely than Rodgers, but. I don't think he could give a definitive answer yet at the moment. Whereas Rogers probably could say, "Look, I can't leave now because they'd slaughter me, but I will do it in the summer." So that'd be my guess, but a, a pure guess, a pure guess.
1: Jay, I just want to get your take on this, but before we move on to Liverpool, Carrick coming in now, as we mentioned, United have been really careful in the way that they have worded, caretaker, interim, etc. The likelihood, I'd probably agree with Sam, is this idea that caretaker will become interim because the difficulty of bringing somebody in for six, seven months is is almost impossible, whereas Michael Carrick's almost a perfect night watchman. From a socials perspective, obviously we've seen a lot of Michael Carrick, he's been involved in the coaching setup. Whether it is a week or a month or a little bit longer, what can United fans expect from from Michael Carrick, um, depending on how long he he is in charge?
0: I'm not really sure. I mean, it's a difficult one because, you know, how different are his ideas to Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's? You just don't know, do you? You don't know how much... I don't know how much influence he had on Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. When it came to the coaching, did he, you know, was he ignored? Did he have completely different ideas that Ollie didn't really listen to, or was he on the same page as Ollie Gunnar Solskjaer? It's just, it, it's weird. I mean, the sort of the strange thing for me isn't so much that Michael Carrick has has taken over because I, I kind of understand that because let's not forget he was here before um, Ollie was. He was, you know, it was Jose one it, that brought in. I think Carrick as part of the the coaching set I think was it McKenna as well who came in earlier as well. Yeah. I think Phelan was the only one that that Ollie brought in. It's just it's just it's a little bit on the East staying around as well because it, it to me it feels like over, almost like everything's been put on Oli. It's all Oli's fault. Just get rid of him, but keep everyone else and everything, and that'll that'll fix it. And I don't think it will. So no. I'm in the dark as to how this is going to be any different with, with Michael Carrick. To be honest with you, what I think may happen, and like Sam was saying, you know, this is guesswork. This for me, it's guesswork as well. I don't know. I feel that United may look at it and go, okay, we we've got Villarreal, we have got Chelsea, we got Arsenal. Now those are three tough games. So, you know, Michael Carrick can have those games where, you know, he just sort of manages the shit or steadies the ship for a, a few games just, you know, as a word with the players and say, "Listen, you know, we've got big games coming up. Give me all your, you know, what you've got sort of thing. Let's just get through these games." And then United can maybe look at bringing in someone after those games because after those games you've got easier. I know there's never an easy game when it's Manchester United anymore, but Easier games you look at, you've got Palace, Young Boys, Norwich, Brentford, Brighton, Newcastle, Burnley and Wolves are your next sort of, you know, Villa are your next run of games. It's a very easy run. So if you were maybe to bring in someone like Lauren Blanc or whoever and go, right, OK, now you take over for the for the Palace game onwards, he'd have 10 games that perhaps he can get a run going with and and get this the, the team and the club moving back up the table. Um and then you go in the summer for a a, a Pochettino or a Ten Hag or whoever. But it's just so confusing. It's just, I've never, I mean, I I might be forgetting, but I don't recall a club ever being run like this. I don't recall a club ever doing this, ever sacking a manager promoting someone in his coaching staff and then going, he's just there for a few games. The forthcoming matches, I think, was what the term was on the on the press release. And then we're going to bring in an interim manager who's not going to take over permanently. He's just going to take over in the interim. And then we'll bring in someone in the summer as permanent. I mean, it just seems ludicrous, to be honest with you. What, I mean, you know, what's Carrick thinking if he's only here for a few games? If an interim manager then comes in, what's he thinking if he's only here for a, for a few months? And then, then you go for the permanent one. It just does seem just so, so strange of the way they've gone about all this. And in answer to your question, oh, it's the most long-winded answer ever, but it's just with with the Carrick situation, I've no idea. I don't know what we're going to see from him because I don't know how different he is from Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. And I think we'll find
1: that out on Tuesday night against Villarreal. Yeah, I think all this assistant manager to the assistant manager talk, I'm half expecting Gareth and, and David Brent to turn up at Old Trafford in the next couple of weeks. We are we are, we are, we are in, are in that indeed, sort of area,
0: aren't we? You know, the the we the, are indeed. The Jay, I'm going to give you a break
1: here. from United. We're going to move on to, to Liverpool. Sam, I'm going to throw this over to you first. Four 4-0 win for Liverpool at home to Arsenal. Obviously, this. Dreadful record that Arsenal have away at Anfield has continued, stretching all the way back to 2012 when Jurgen Klopp was Bruce Dortmund manager and Mikel Arteta was in the Arsenal midfield. That's the last time the Gunners won at Anfield. Going into this game, Arsenal 10 games unbeaten across all competitions, lots of talk of positivity and progress under Arteta, but this was going to be the real, real test. And for me, looking at this as an Arsenal fan, it was, it was a difficult watch, it was a painful watch, particularly second half, but... I think it does just show the cold, hard reality of of levels within the Premier League. Arsenal are scrapping on the edge of the Europa League spots and Liverpool a smack bang in the middle of the title race.
3: Yeah, I mean, that's been the case for a while. City and Liverpool have been miles ahead of everyone else for a few years now. God, don't want to lurch into United chat again. Obviously, finished second last year, but I'll stand by that statement. And obviously, now Chelsea look like they might join them Um, for as long as Thomas Tuchel sticks around. And you can never be quite sure... Um, but yeah this is it like at the start of the season it was obvious that Spurs and Arsenal had completely dropped away from that top four top six whatever conversation um, and they're getting, they're doing well what Arsenal are doing well to get back towards it Spurs and the content you'd imagine will get back towards it but yeah there is that gulf um, but the, the interesting thing is Arsenal were doing pretty well for you know half an hour you've got to you've got to get through the first 20 minutes or so Gary, Gary Neville says it all the time when you play Liverpool at Anfield you've got to get through the first 15-20 minutes or so and they start getting nervous the fans they start getting a bit anxious if if they're not if they're not winning and obviously the city play there a few times a couple of times and outplay Liverpool early on and the, the fans do get a bit quiet and a bit nervous and then obviously that, that flash point with Arteta and, and Klopp didn't help and I'd imagine because Arteta's obviously been there with City a few times and they you know Guardiola and that the, the staff they think they've had their A bad deal at Anfield over the years, you know, penalties not given and that kind of stuff. But I think they, you know, opposition benches, they always get annoyed with each other. And I'm not saying the city benches are right, or the or the Liverpool benches are right, but I'm sure the city bench think the way Liverpool coaches carry on is not right as a as a kind of hangover from those previous games. So I'm sure when um I'm sure when Klopp started racing over like a big angry bear with Arteta telling him to shut up, I'm sure Arteta probably thought straight away, flew off the handle, I'm not having this, I'm sick of how you like carry on and that, because Arteta doesn't, he doesn't lose his temper very often, does he? Like, he's not very emotional, not too high, not too low, that kind of thing, so for him to fly off the handle straight away, you can be sure there's a bit of backstory there, um, and I think that turned the game, didn't it? Or not necessarily turned the game, but it, it kind of, it switched Liverpool on, um, and he. You know the last thing you want to be doing at Anfield is is doing that. And I think was it the second goal, Jota, when he when he capitalised on Tavares giving the ball away. That Liverpool play for that. They want they want you to play the ball inside and then they win it. But I mean normally they 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 make a tackle or some kind of action. You just gave the ball away straight to Liverpool player on the edge of the box, and you know you you're in big trouble if that happens. And yeah, Arsenal they're doing all right, but Liverpool are a different level.
1: Looking at some of the decisions Jay that Arteta made in terms of his lineup and he's been very loyal to pretty much the same starting eleven right the way through this run of games. Sam's touched on Nuno Tavares there that gave the ball away for Jota's goal and then Liverpool just targeted him for the rest of the game. Salah's goal came down from his side. Trent's assist for Minamino's uh, goal also came from that area of the pitch and you've got Kieran Tierney on the bench who's back fit, he was away with Scotland in midweek and, and featured for them. Arteta has brought a lot of positivity and a lot of upbeatness to Arsenal in recent months, but for me, that was a bit of a sign of a young manager that still maybe is not necessarily loyal to a fault to certain players, but... Klopp, Tuchel, Guardiola, when certain games come along that certain players are not suited to and other ones are better suited to, they don't hesitate to make that change. Whereas Arteta will have looked at this and gone, Tavares has been in the back four for the last two months while Tierney was injured, keep his place, and then this happens. And, and he's generally been kind of held up as a little bit of a pariah within a, within some Arsenal fans.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think maybe, maybe you're right. Maybe it is a little bit of a sort of... Could you call it inexperience as a manager? I know he's had experience as a coach, but these are the sort of things that you can learn from and he is still learning and growing as a manager because we, you know, we've know, we spoken about this loads of times when I've been on this podcast about how just because you've got that experience as a coach, as a number two, doesn't mean that automatically mean that you're going to be a great manager. And I think with Arteta, he's, you know, he's had such a sort of up and down Arsenal uh, time of it so far. You know, obviously won the FA Cup, some big results there on the way to that and then has had some sort of real struggles in the league and now seems to have sort of they seem to have sorted themselves out a little bit, don't they, Arsenal? But he's not faultless and he's, you know, capable of, of backing the wrong player or making mistakes or what have you. And he's it's difficult one for him because you're going up against a Liverpool team that are superior. They are a lot better than Arsenal, aren't they? And you know, Sam's mentioned it there, you know, City and Liverpool have been streets ahead and, and Liverpool just they're just miles ahead of Arsenal. It's just it's like night and day, you know, you look at the the starting elevens and you think how many of of Arsenal's team would get into Liverpool's team. There's not many. Um, And I think that you you can sort of forgive Arteta, I think, if he's maybe got one or two things wrong, because I do feel like he has... I know you probably aren't sick of hearing it, especially you as an Arsenal fan, probably sick of hearing it, but turn the corner, because you look at that start of the season where everyone thought he was going to get sacked and it looked dreadful, everyone was questioning his signings and, and everything, and now they're up to fifth, which isn't amazing, but it's solid enough. Do you know what I mean? And it's like, okay, they've been battered off Liverpool four 0 It's not, you know, you're not going to be that great. But the the sort of one comfort they can take is, you know, that is a game that it's almost like a, a kind of free hit in a way. No one really expects you to to win that game, do they? Everyone thinks on oh, Liverpool, especially you know the players they've got available that they're going to they're going to win that one. So yes, Arteta did get everything right, and and four nil isn't great. But in the grand scheme of things, I don't think this is a game that our is going to be judged on. I think those those games are going to be like against the likes of the teams around him, and whether he can, especially with you know, I don't want to bring this back to United, but United dropping out of that top four conversation for the time being, anyway. There is you know there are spaces, there is a space up for grabs there because I think everyone knows it's going to be Chelsea, City, and Liverpool, and another, and that other could well be Arsenal. I don't think that's beyond the realms of possibility at all. You know, they've got twenty points after twelve games, only three behind West Ham. It's doable, and um, maybe this is something where these are sort of games where I'll have to learn from it and i have to think you know what if my best player or one of my best players is available I play him regardless of who's been playing for me previously
1: yeah I agree there's going to be a hell of a scrap for that likely last Champions League spot this season just in terms of the table the results from those first two games that we've discussed haven't really changed the picture all that much Liverpool stay third Arsenal stay fifth and Manchester United slip down to eighth. Right, we're going to take a quick break. After the break, we're going to be talking about Chelsea. Straightforward stuff for Thomas Tuchel. 3-0 win away at Leicester, and also Steven Gerrard's first game as a Premier League manager. Aston Villa, 2-0 win against Brighton. We're going to be talking into both of those games in just a second.
2: Football's Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now, so you never miss an episode. Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk
1: Hello and welcome back to the Football Social Daily Premier League weekend review show. Before the break it was all about Ollie. Oli Gunnar Solskjaer has finally parted ways with Manchester United after a 4-0 defeat to Watford yesterday and Arsenal also shipped four goals away at Anfield. Now we're moving on to Chelsea against Leicester. Sam All in all, pretty straightforward stuff for Chelsea in this one. They stay top of the table. Thomas Tuchel, in his post-game interview, only said this was a 7.5 out of 10 performance. But three goals, three points, really dominant performance. If this is a 7 out of 10 performance, I don't really know what you'd have to do to be a Chelsea player getting much higher than that.
3: Yeah, exactly. Um, They absolutely bossed it. I mean, Leicester looked all right um, after making a couple of changes at half-time. But then Chelsea's third goal... with about, what, 25 minutes to go? Absolutely killed it. And then they, they scored three more after that, and they were all offside. But they, they ran right by the end. It was very, very comfortable. It was funny how all laughed and said, I'm, not, I'm never going to give a 10. So he's on, you know, another one of these perfectionists. But yeah, seven seven 7.5 seemed a bit harsh. Um, scary, though. It reminds me of when Guardiola first came in at City. They won the first six games. And everyone was, oh, this is amazing. You're doing so well. He was like, we got so far to go to improve. And obviously he was right. You think if Chelsea improve on that, then that is scary for the next few years. You'll be you'll be hoping that he ends up getting sacked because it'd be like, that's the thing. Liverpool and Liverpool and City are still really good, but they they concede goals and they've dropped a few points. Chelsea just keep keep um chugging along and there's a lot of chopping and changing with the team at the start of the season, but they seem to be onto something with the wing backs at the minute. Obviously they've always played wing backs but um with Chilwell and, and Reese James in particular bombing on, they've got that back three, whoever it is, because that changes, but the back three, do don't they don't need to go anywhere. They just string out across the pitch. Kante and Jorginho are in front of them. And then they've just got, without Lukaku, they've just got two or three technical players who hover around the middle and make spaces for the fullbacks. And, oh, sorry, the backs getting forward. Um, it makes them incredibly hard to beat and it means they've got a lot of attacking options. They don't always score a load of goals, not always. But... Um, but when you dominate games like that and you don't give away chances, you're going to be winning. You're going to be winning most weeks. That's what we saw again on the weekend.
1: Jay, as Sam said, you look at Chelsea. They, they do seem to be almost a complete package, both at the back in attack. Everything they, they don't really seem to have any kind of noticeable weak points. Looking at a defensive record, they've just conceded two goals in the last eight games in all competitions, and. Interestingly, the bulk of the last month they've been out without both Timo Werner and Romelu Lukaku, but they're still doing enough to win games. They're getting goals from right the way across the team. Obviously, Newcastle before the Champions League, um, before the international break, Rhys James and Jorginho. They then beat Malmo in the Champions League and then three goals again yesterday against Leicester and three new goal scorers, Antonio Rudiger, Golo Kante and Christian Pulisic. This is a measure of just how good they are. No Lukaku and no Werner. They're not conceding goals and they're not... I'm not going to say they're not missing those two players, but they're not necessarily falling massively short in terms of still scoring goals and winning games.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's usually a sign of a a title-winning team, isn't it? The fact that they can lose one or two players and and you don't even barely notice it. And they've got a system that works and people can drop in, players can drop in and drop out and and they still get get the win, you know. And most teams or any team would miss someone like Romelu Lukaku and they haven't really. Like you're saying and, and they they do have so many different options when you look at Chelsea and you look at the fact that, you know, Pulisic comes on or or, you know, maybe it's Ziyech or whoever, they've they've got these options and it seems like they've got one sort of class player coming on for a different one and they can just rotate it and you know, from the outside looking in it's just Sort of from my point of view, I'm just a bit jealous of being able to do that. Man reminds me of United of old, to be honest with you, because I don't really see a lot of weaknesses in Chelsea's team, and especially when you think even if they did lose one or two players, which they have done, they can still keep winning football matches. You know, the defensively, the record is fantastic, you, you know, the hardly the, the, the ever can see goals. And going forward, they've got goal scorers everywhere. Even to the point where you see N'Golo goal. Can'tley's goal. Goal. is never someone you sort of <laughs> associate with banging in goals. Yeah, it was a fantastic run and a great finish as well. And that's the sign of a team full of confidence that they're doing that. That they get, You know, players are having a goal. Players are running with a ball. Players are taking shots, and everyone's getting in on the action. And it's just a measure of the the, the job that Thomas Tuchel has, has done since he got there because. It sort of surprised me a little bit. I always thought Tuchel was a good manager. I didn't think he was that good, even being honest. You know what I mean? I thought he's like, you know, a good coach who, who, might not be quite in the very elite level. But since he's gone to Chelsea, they've been they've been absolutely fantastic. And you know, obviously won the Champions League and now top of the table and just looking almost infallible.
1: Yeah, um, obviously confidence is high with Chelsea at the minute, Sam, but with Leicester, it's it's definitely not. Obviously, we've we touched on this potential that Brendan Rodgers could be on Manchester United's watch list in the next few months in terms of replacing yeah. Oli Gunnar Solskjaer. It's a very difficult one to gauge here, exactly what the issue is at Leicester, because just one win in the last four in the Premier League, squeezed through in the Carabao Cup on penalties against Brighton. Europa League, they're not really seeming to be able to get enough results to get a knockout place quite ticked off. And then yesterday against Chelsea all the key stats possessions um, possessions in the attacking half shots shots on target everything they were comfortably second best to Chelsea and it's it's difficult to gauge exactly what the issue is nobody's really hitting the panic just yet because nobody knows what's going to happen with Rodgers but it does seem a little bit stale and a little bit difficult to gauge exactly how they try and kick start this
3: yeah they they technically they were just poor yesterday they they gave the ball away very easily and it's a bit like Everton against City today. Like, you can't really blame them for doing that because they're under pressure and the, the opposition are so well organised. It is difficult to to pick your passes when you're under that pressure. That's the whole point of what the opposition do. But they did give the ball away very easily and that made their task even harder. Um, and yeah, in terms of the any wider problems, if you could call it wider problems, it, it seems to be drifting a bit. Um, what I thought yesterday watching the game was, obviously this was before United played, but I thought, this is drifting a bit towards Leicester having a few more poor results, United having a few more poor results, and Solskjaer going, and then everyone around Leicester starting to think, it wouldn't be the worst if Rodgers went. And it wouldn't be like Rodgers leaving them in the lurch then. It wouldn't be like he was leaving them when he was in the top four and all the Leicester, play, all the Leicester fans in him. You know, if they if they did kind of stagnate a bit, they could probably say, okay, yeah, well, fair enough. You've taken us as far as you can. You go and then he ends up at United. That's what I thought watching the game. But obviously, they may be able to turn it around. But, um, you know, Vardy's second top scorer in the Premier League, but hasn't scored in a in a few games now. Um, you never write him off, of course. Um, but they seem to have a good thing going getting Ian Nacho into the team. But that's at the end of last season. But that's kind of not really worked out. Madison's been in and out. He, he came on at half-time and helped the, them look better until that third goal killed it. Um, they change. You know, three at the back, some weeks four at the back. The next, um, not really sure what the best eleven is. Um, you know, I, I don't know if there's anything else going on behind the scenes in terms of he's not happy with this, he's not happy with that. Maybe the Madison non-selection more and more often is less tactical and more because of um off the pitch stuff. I don't know. There was the the COVID party last year when that was all very sensitive. Maybe that had a an impact. Um, but yeah, they're they're not. They're not the Leicester that we've got used to under Rodgers last couple of years, and yeah, it does make you wonder if, if because the the team are getting booed as well, so it does make you wonder if he, if he would say, okay, I've I've done my job here, we won the FA Cup, and everyone says yeah, fair play, you did a good job, let's let's get somebody else in, but I might be getting a few steps ahead here, but that's how it looked in that game.
1: Just just a swing back to United for a second in terms of Rodgers, <laughs> Jay, because looking at looking at the odd situation in terms of. United's next boss, he he is the favourite as it stands, we know obviously Bucky's odds are not always the best to go off, but he's definitely going to be in the conversation of potential options for, for Solskjaer's replacement there does seem to be, but then again as Sam said, maybe we're looking for something that doesn't exist there does seem to be this little bit of flatness and maybe a little bit of behind the scenes issues at Leicester, would he be someone that if United were to push for him either in January or either in the summer, he's under contract until 2025 with Leicester, so it's unlikely he'll break mid-season if he is going to go. Is he somebody that you look at and think, yes, that is an option that I'd be happy with at Manchester United?
0: Yeah, I mean, Brendan Rodgers is a good coach, You know, he's, he's done relatively well at Leicester, won in the FA Cup, of course, um, and two top-five finishes, and, you know, he had, you can call it success, but he did OK at Liverpool, they had that second-place finish, it's just not a manager that, for me, excites me where I think, oh, yeah, he's going to come in and he's going to sort this out. And it's not just the fact he used to manage Liverpool. I don't mind that. If he thought, if I thought he was going to come in and win us titles, it'd actually be pretty funny to do that with someone that was you know was at Liverpool. I just don't know if he has got what it takes to go up against the likes of Tuchel and Klopp and Guardiola and 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 beat them. You know The wheels have come off at Leicester. I don't know what's going on there. I don't know whether it is because his head's turned or because you know other factors that, that Sam's mentioned but I just feel like there's better options out there than, than Brendan Rodgers. I just feel like... It, it just feels like a manager that's slightly below that very top level. And yes, he had success at, at, at Celtic, but it was at a time when Rangers weren't really doing a lot and it's difficult to, to know how... Of how much of a barometer that is to say how successful you could be at a very top club. You know, no disrespect Scottish football, but it was a you know, almost like a complete one horse race at the time. I know he, he did very well in terms of trebles and unbeaten runs, I think it was it like sixty three games or whatever. But no, with 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 Rogers, I just feel like it's he's only slightly better than Solskjaer and all right, maybe I'm being a bit harsh, maybe a little bit better than Solskjaer, but that shouldn't be the criteria. It shouldn't be just is he a better coach than Ole Gunnar Solskjaer? Okay then let's get him in. It needs to be more than that. It needs to be, is he good enough to go up against Klopp, to go up against Guardiola, to go up against Tuchel and challenge with this group of players. And I just don't know if he is. I just don't get that feeling from him at all. And yeah, I I just feel with, with Brendan Rodgers that if he came to United, it would just be another sort of another sort of being almost there near misses you know maybe some semi-finals maybe getting into that top four and not really doing anything rather than pushing on and going for a title challenge I just don't get that feeling that he is the man for that for the job for me Um, and he's not certainly not helping his cause at all this season because I know they beat us you know comfortably I think it was 4-2 but they haven't looked great this season at all Leicester They've, they've looked pretty poor other than that result against us and you know that that doesn't bode well if you're trying to appoint a manager and you go, okay, let's get the guy that's taken Leicester to 13th in the table or wherever they are
1: from uh, managers that have been sacked to managers who might be moving on to one of the three managerial debuts this weekend. uh, Sam, Stephen Gerrard's first game as a Premier League manager obviously taking charge of Aston Villa after leaving Rangers. 2-0 win at home to Brighton and there's obviously been massive attention around Stephen Gerrard. He's a huge player in the context of the Premier League, former England international. He's been successful with Rangers in terms of getting them back into, into winning a Scottish title and in terms of debuts, it probably couldn't have really gone much better, looked as if it was going to be drifting off towards a, a goalless draw and maybe just a bit of a frustrating start for Gerard. but one of the interesting points that, that has been flagged up by quite a few people was the change that he made in the second half. He brought off Danny Ings, who in most situations, if that was Dean Smith and he was subbing off Danny Ings, there'd be something to be said about it, brought on Liam Bailey, put Ollie Watkins inside, and that ultimately won the game because Watkins banged in a worldie and then Tyrone Mings wrapped it up. So... In terms of starts, we're gonna talk about Dean Smith in part three and, and Eddie Howe as well, but it couldn't really have gone much better for, for Gerard at, at Villa.
3: No, it couldn't have, because I mean look, managers make all kinds of changes that um you know Joe Public like me and you would never spot. But when you do something that's a bit more obvious, you know, whether it's a sub or changing somebody's position noticeably on the pitch, and then it works, you know, you know, you're absolutely laughing. And if it changes the game and it leads to a late goal, then yeah, doubly so, so. Yeah, perfect for that. You know, Villa, it was a weird one to sack Dean Smith. I'm sure you've had this conversation when it happened. Um, it didn't seem like that needed to happen. But with that being said, it has happened. So what they needed was a lift. You could tell when the goals went in how vociferously they, they celebrated those. So it's, it is going to be a really interesting one to see how it goes. Obviously, it did get off to a good start. Brighton being Brighton. On another day, they might have got something. Um, It wasn't their best performance, Brighton. But yeah, you can't, you can't really say it was um an easy win for Villa because Brighton are a very solid team. Um they've they've done well against better teams than Villa recently. So yeah, good start. Um they've got a good group of players, Villa, obviously. Um, with the you know, the, the money they reinvested from Grealish's sale and the players they had already. Um and like I say, I don't think they needed to sack Dean Smith, but they have. So yeah, bit of a fresh start and it's gonna be really interesting to see how it goes. I know everybody says that. Um I'm quite excited by, by Gerrard. I know I know we've got another United link, but Jay was saying you know it'd be quite funny if he thought a manager was going to win on trophies if they, especially if they had that Liverpool link. I wonder what he thought if Stephen Gerrard would go and be United manager. But um, yeah, I, I, rec- I, rec- I, rec- I reckon good luck to him um, because it is hard to judge in Scotland, isn't it? but in, with Rangers you can see you can see that a bit more than Celtic situation a bit more. he's obviously done a great job there. But, yeah, it'll be really fascinating to see how he does. And it's um, I, was, I was glad to see it happen, actually.
1: With Gerard uh, Jay, I'm absolutely dying to ask you this question. In the notes, I've been reading through and been waiting to ask you this question about about Steven Gerrard, because, obviously, from a United perspective, the most famous memory of, of Steven Gerrard is the fact that he didn't win a Premier League title with Liverpool. That, in throughout his entire career, he didn't manage to to tick that box. He's gone to ranges, he's been successful, he's won a title as manager. An impressive start with Villa against Brighton in his first game. And sometimes with Gerard, I know obviously there is animosity and there's a lot of banter and stuff between between Liverpool United and, and Gerard and Man United fans. But sometimes he does kind of get unfairly lumped in with players of the same Premier League era that have had a bit of a disastrous time in terms of management. Gary Neville, Frank Lampard wouldn't necessarily say disaster, but Gerard has tangibly proven that he can implement a system, that he can win games, that he can win a trophy, albeit in Scotland, whatever you want to take about that. Is Steven Gerrard maybe a little bit undersold because he's constantly viewed through this prism of, well, everyone else that was in that era of England players or Premier League players haven't managed to do it. And before he's almost kind of kicked the ball, although not kicking a ball, he's maybe being judged as as a Premier League manager.
0: No, I, I don't know. I, I wouldn't have thought so. I thought I think he gets quite a lot of credit and, and, you know, it pains me to say it, but probably deservedly so. I think Sam makes a good point about, you know, when Gerard went to Rangers, it wasn't like Rangers... This wasn't a Brendan Rodgers at Celtic situation where Rangers were just dominating and he just came in and carried that on. You know, he, he sort of he turned it around a little bit for them and obviously showed that he had a little bit about him. Um, and then coming to Villa, it's not an, it wasn't an easy or an obvious choice, do you know what I mean? Villa was struggling. Dean Smith, who, who was obviously a good manager, couldn't get a tune out of him. He's gone there. Gerard, it probably probably would have been easier for him to stay at Rangers. Taking a bit of a chance, and I know. Listen, it's only one game, and we don't need to get carried away. But starting off well. I feel like it could be easy to, to lump all these managers together and go, you know, this this sort of the, what was called the golden generation of English football. Oh, none of them really worked out. But I think Gerrard's the one that has sort of proven himself. Because I think with Lampard, you know, he did okay at Derby, didn't he? Went to Chelsea, didn't happen. Um, Neville, Valencia, didn't happen. You know one or two others have had a little bit of a bites of cherry, not really done much. Whereas as Gerard has at least proven himself so far, but this will be the test. This will wait to happen because I always feel with Gerard, it's nailed on in it. He's going to go back to Liverpool at some point as manager, unless he, he drastically messes up as a manager here. So if that is going to happen, he just needs to. I think he just needs to do a decent job at Villa, and then when Klopp does move on, I think Gerard will, will take his place and hopefully continue that, that run of never having won the, the Premier League or the English one anyway. <laughs>
1: Wow, all that positivity to to end on a negative. Jay was kinda of backing Stephen Gerald, but then you know, you just can't help yourself getting a little uh It's little yeah, dig it's in. like
0: Tourette's, isn't it, this United man being a United fan thing. It just comes out you can't help yourself, you can't be too nice to Stephen Gerald.
1: Exactly. Even on the day when Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's been sacked, Jay, you just can't help yourself when it comes to Steven Gerrard. Right, we're going to take a quick break uh, from Jay, from Gerrard, from, from that little block of Premier League games. After the break, we're going to be talking about the other six games from this Premier League weekend. Stacks of goals and a couple of more managerial debuts. Dean Smith with a winning start at Norwich. And Eddie Howe, even though he wasn't at St. James's Park, got himself a point against Brentford. We're going to be getting stuck into all of that in just a second. <laughs>
2: Football's Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk Football's Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never
1: miss an episode. Hello and welcome back to the Football Social Daily Premier League weekend review show. Just a reminder, as always here on Football Social Daily, we are your daily Premier League podcast. Every 24 hours, a brand new podcast on all things Premier League. And at the moment, it is a constantly moving beast. Managerial sackings, transfer gossip and incredible results almost every single weekend. Before the break, we talked about some of the big games probably more towards the top of the table, but we're going to have a look at the rest of the action in part three. Sam, Manchester City, obviously not down the bottom of the table, but pretty straightforward for them today against Everton. 3-0 win, three goals, three points, all very straightforward, easy box tick for Manchester City in, in their return to action. So I actually want to look at Everton because from what was a fairly solid, fairly positive start to the season where Rafa Benitez started to win over a lot of Everton fans, some easier than others. Things have really hit the skids in the last few weeks. Two points from the last six games in Premier League action, and given the fact that there's always going to be a bit of an uneasy reliance in terms of Rafa Benitez being Everton manager, could he potentially find himself on unsteady ground? They're obviously struggling with injuries at the moment, but fans fans won't have much time for that if results continue to nosedive.
3: No, they won't. Um, you know, Everton fans don't need much encouragement to have a moan. It's fair to say. Uh, In terms of Benitez potentially getting the sack, they're they're that worried about financial fair play. I don't know how they could find a presumably large payout down the back of the sofa for him. Um, And look, just going back to the injuries, yeah, okay, if the results do carry on being bad, then um, it probably won't go well. But let's cross that bridge when we come to it. You know, Decore being out is big. He was very good for them at the start of the season. lewin has been out for ages. Richarlison's only just coming back. Um, that's th- that's three big players for them when you've got a squad, you know, a good I'd say a good first 11 but not great depth, you know, the money they've spent over the last few years to be where they are is <laughs> a bit criminal really it has, there's been a lot of waste there, that's why they're so worried about FFP and that's why they've been signing players for like 1.5 million like it's 1994 in the summer um, but yeah, I mean for me <laughs> they're not, it's it's not a great style of play, is it? The fans are never really gonna um, buy into it if the results don't go their way. But as we saw at the start of the season, when Everton were floating around fourth, they got that result at Old Trafford and and could have won. It was looking it was looking pretty rosy, and as long as the results are there, they won't mind the style. And Everton's not the kind of club where they want to be playing attacking football. The Kuman and Martinez um, experiments didn't really take hold, um, so they, they don't mind the old Moyes ball. Um, from the early days um, and, and even before that so yeah um, it's a bit passive it wasn't the best approach to play against City because the teams who have done well against City in the Etihad this season have pressed and they've made it difficult for them they didn't do that they just sat back and tried to frustrate them but yeah that City will always fancy their chances in that sense if they can get into their groove they did that today and yeah Everton are lost again but let's see how it's going in a couple of months I think if they get those those players back um, they'll be a lot better off.
1: Uh, positive COVID-19 test, Jay, meant that Eddie Howe couldn't be in place for his Newcastle debut. Uh, he was replaced by Jason Tindall, who's going to be his assistant manager, who was kind of messenger for Eddie Howe on the touchline. But in terms of a start, this was mad full of excitement. Three-all draw against Brentford. The neutrals will have loved this. And when you think back to Newcastle of old, Kevin Keegan, we're used to, you know, fly by the seat of your pants, football, loads of goals, you score, we score. We'll just see how it all shakes out in the end. But Eddie Howe does have a bit of a reputation of not being great at keeping clean sheets and you know, battling and that side of the relegation battle. This was a really exciting game from a neutral watching it. Six goals, absolute madness. No one knew what was going to happen. But Eddie Howe won't be overly delighted. They're still the only team not to win a Premier League game so far this season. And when eventually he does get to sit in the dugout at St James's Park, his job hasn't really been made any easier, despite a bit of a mad afternoon against Brentford
0: no it hasn't you're right and you know you look at the amount of goals you've conceded and yes it's exciting and they got a draw but you know they are still conceding loads of goals and they haven't won a game and that's that, that, that is going to be the, the the problem that he's going to have to fix because you just can't keep conceding at the rate that, uh, that Newcastle do I think is it 27 is it goals now I think um, I think, a, the, the, I think them and Norwich have conceded the most amount of goals at the level um, and again you know no wins and six points I mean you want to give yourself a fighting chance, don't you, when you come in. And I know they're only, sort of, what, five points from safety. So it's not like they're out of getting out of, getting out of trouble, but he has to fix that problem. And he has to fix it quickly because, you know, if you're conceding goals the way that Newcastle do, you know, 3 old draws are great and are exciting, but they're not going to get you out of the trouble that you're in. You need to be able to grind out those results to get the old clean sheet and give yourself a fighting chance so that if someone like, say, Maximin or someone like that, who can get you a goal, gets you the goal, it's enough to, to, to sneak you a win. And at the minute, it's just not, not happening for him. So he's got his work cut out. I don't need to go over it because we've spoke about my opinions on Eddie Howe so many times on this podcast over the few years, um, I'm sure you're all bored of hearing it. I don't really rate him, but maybe he can surprise me and
1: show me what he's made of by getting Newcastle out of the mess with him. Sam, another goal madness, another 3 all. one at St James's Park and one at Turf Moor, Burnley 3, Crystal Palace 3, again, everyone just forgot to defend, Patrick Vieira, Sean Dyche probably won't be happy with the amount of goals that they shipped, and in terms of assessing them this weekend, it's difficult because this was another ridiculous game, so I've just pulled someone who's had another fantastic game for Burnley in this one, and that's Maxwell Corney. five Premier League yeah. goals so far this season, seven points his goals have got Burnley so far this season, as they look to Put a bit of distance between themselves and, and the drop zone. This took a little bit of a while to get over the line to come in and maybe possibly to convince him to come to Burnley. Yeah. But he's arguably been the signing of the season so far, and also every goal he scores is a belter.
3: Yeah, it is. Um, he's made a huge impact, and it's funny. I, I I was thinking when you asked, I wasn't sure how um how much common knowledge it was that he wasn't you know hugely sold on going to Burnley initially because I remember. I remember seeing something at work about how, after it was first linked, I don't I don't think it was his first choice, and I think he was hoping for something else. But obviously he's, he's done it in the end. And he, yeah, he's had a great start. He had a great start in the game at Leicester, got injured, um, but he's come back, and that was probably the, the best goal of the ones he scored, and he scored some decent ones. Um, it goes a long way to transform a, a team like Burnley, which might sound a bit derogatory, but there's a lot of, there's a lot of teams that play good football in the Premier League these days, um, and Burnley aren't one of them. But he's 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 really transformed them. He's 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 given them a bit of a spark. And in that game yesterday, I mean, I can't imagine it would have been like that if Hodgson was the manager. Um, I think Vieira's doing really good things with Palace. You're right. He won't be happy with how open it was. I know he said on his interview after the game that it came down to a, a save at the end. And if if Guaita hadn't have made it, they'd have they'd have ended up with nothing, which they which they wouldn't have deserved. But it was a it was a mad game. Um, hard to really judge the, the flow of it. It's one of those where you really need to see the 90 minutes. And I'm not ashamed to admit I haven't seen the full 90 minutes. I've seen the highlights twice and I still can't really work out what happened. Um, but yeah, um, Palace going in the right direction. Burnley not so much. But they always seem to be fine, don't they? The only thing I'd say this season is there's not a group of teams that are really terrible, so they're going to have to you know, capitalise on these games a bit more soon. But um, I doubt. I doubt they'll be too worried about relegation.
1: Uh, the third managerial debut this weekend, although not really a Premier League managerial debut, more of a managerial swap. Dean Smith at Norwich. J. We talked about a win for Gerard, draw for Eddie Howe in his first game, albeit not at St James's Park. Norwich in one of the little oddities of the Premier League season. This is the first time they've actually got back-to-back wins, but it's with two different managers. Daniel Farke before the international break, he then gets sacked. Dean Smith gets sacked by Aston Villa and then he takes over. 2-1 win against Southampton. Norwich have rolled the dice on this and there's only one reason that they brought Dean Smith in. They think that this change, whether it's to freshen things up, whether it's to have someone who has a bit more experience of keeping a team in the Premier League. It's all weighted on him keeping them in the Premier League. It's obviously really, really early days, but can this tip the balance for them? There's still a huge amount of work to do, but Dean Smith's going to bring a new approach to Daniel Farke. Does this give them a bit more of a fighting chance? Yeah, definitely. I mean, you know, it's, it's still a long way to go, and
0: you do worry about Norwich, whether the, the quality is there, and it was strange because you look at how they were in the Championship and then they come into the Premier League, compared with some of the other promoted teams, and they just look, you know, nowhere near the levels that you, you need to be. But, but like you say, back-to-back wins, and a first win... for. For the Dean Smith as in his first game, it's got to give him a little bit of confidence, and hopefully, they can from their point of view, he can tap into that because it wasn't that long ago. that really. it? Just you know, they, we were talking about him. I think we was, was on the on this podcast saying they were on, on course to, to have the lowest amount of points of anyone. Mm. Like if if they carried on the, the rest of the season the way they'd started it, they'd end up with like Derby County or whatever it is, lot of sort of points tally like six points for the season or something silly. So getting those two wins, those back-to-back wins, putting them within at least you know touching distance of, of uh, getting out of the relegation zone, it's got to give you a little bit of confidence. It's just the, the big test will be you know if they can keep this momentum going and if they can't, if they do you know have another loss or have a heavy loss like they have done, can they bounce back from it or is it going to be more of the same? So, yeah, it's it's a good start for him. And Norwich, there is a little bit of glimmer of hope there because I think it was the Chelsea game I was last on talking about him and they looked woeful. Um, whereas now there the seems to be a bit of life in him, and, and who knows? You know, maybe that the Dean Smith appointment could could be the one that saves him.
1: Positive stuff for Smith at Norwich. Another first Premier League win for a manager this weekend as well. Sam Antonio Conte, obviously installed as Spurs boss, gets his first three points. Two one win over Leeds in in the Sunday game this afternoon. Difficult one again to gauge exactly what Conte's been able to do, what he's been able to change, you know, talk of ketchup and mayonnaise being banned. But other than that, he's had the international break to work with and and whether he's really been able to kind of enact what he's expecting to do. And this was a difficult one to gauge. They went 1-0 down. They fought back. Fantastic goal from Hoybjerg to get them back into it. We know that Conte will get a bit of steel back into them and he'll start getting them working hard and playing for each other. But he does have a big job on his hands. This assumption that he kind of guarantees winning and guarantees trophies, Tottenham, the Tottenham team that he's taking over, are still some way short of, of where he'd expect them to be.
3: Uh, yeah, it's it's a strange one, isn't it? That he didn't go in the summer and then he did go now, and he, he even said recently, you know, I don't normally like to go to teams midway through the season, but Tottenham convinced me, and you just think they don't look any more appealing now than they did in the summer, but. Um, <laughs> Uh, they, I mean, they, they have got a good group of players, you know. Um, uh, I, I, I mean, it's not controversial to say I'd rather have United's you know, group of players if you were a manager going in. Um, but I think he's probably got something to work with there. Um, you would imagine he's got assurances over about the the players he can bring in. Although if we we'll, if Spurs's experience of moving to a new stadium is the same as Arsenal's, so i I'd, I'd be a bit wary of those promises. Um, but yeah, you, you can tell the final whistle. You know the, the you know how, how he kind of the, the Roy Keane phrase of how he carries on on the touchline. Um, it gets a bit it's a bit great in it? It, it, it he's another manager um, like a lot of them at the top of the table. He needs to have a day off every once in a while. But that'll be infectious. I know Kane didn't score today, but he will start scoring again soon. Um, you know Son, Son Son will be back to his best again soon. They've got goals out like of the other players today. is um, one that everyone's going to be trying to get a tune out of, whether they do or not. The good thing about Conte is it can turn players around when he's and in football. We're too, we're too quick to look at a player and go, he's no good, he's a waste of space. And not um, take into account what a changing coach can do for them. So I'm sure he'll turn a few careers around. There'll be players that we think are average who'll certainly look great. Um, and yeah, in terms of that fourth place, I know you're saying it's not a foregone conclusion that Spurs are going to get it. Um, but I wouldn't be at all surprised if they did.
1: Final game of the weekend, Jay. We started the show with a former United boss in Ole Gunnar Solskjaer and another former United boss in David Moyes is where we're going to wrap up. 1-0 defeat for West Ham away at Wolves. First defeat in eight in all competitions. If they'd won this one, they'd have gone up to second in this kind of push to put themselves in the conversation for the Champions League. Difficult to maybe take too much away from West Ham in terms of this. They played well, but just a little bit of magic from, from Rao has got the win for Wolves. Angelo Bonner is now going to be out for the bulk, if not all, of the season. David Moyes has got a really set way of doing things. He doesn't make a lot of changes. Is there a lot to read into this, or is, is this just one of them results that you tick off and say, didn't work, back to the drawing board uh, in training this week? Yeah, I think at the minute you just say
0: that, you'd go, okay, it didn't work, but. You know, that, that, like you say, when when you have a smaller squad or a smaller group of players that you, that you use and you lose one of them, it can have, you know, a detrimental effect, sort of a big effect here. So we'll have to wait and see whether it is that or whether it's, it's just a blip. I wouldn't look too much into it. Um, you know, West Ham are obviously flying and, and you know, you're always going to expect to not just keep winning and keep going on this run and sooner or later it was going to come to an end. Um, so yeah I wouldn't I be too downhearted it's just going to be interesting to see whether West Ham can keep up their form or whether this is just a bad daily office or something a bit deeper than that and you know they are going to start staggering because it has been a bit of a, a surprise for me anyway I, you know last season I looked at West Ham and I mm. saw them almost getting into the Champions League when Jesse Lingard went there mm. and then sort of tailing off and you thought oh that was probably their chance that was their one chance almost like oh you know they won't do it again this season and this season they look even better from the start of the season, rather than you know, from early in the season, rather than the late rally. So it'll be interesting to see how it pans out. Just on the, on the Wolves side of things as well, it's good to see him. And as I know, he's, I think he's got three Premier League goals this season. But obviously, with, you know, with the injury he had and everything that went on with it, it's good to see him sort of still playing, playing well, and getting goals. So yeah, it'll be interesting to see what happens with with West Ham. But the one bad thing about when West Ham win is you always have to put up with those tweets and those comments of. You know, I saw Alan Sugar was out the other day. You know, United should have given Moyes more time. We shouldn't have. Trust me on that one. David Moyes at United did not work. This is different, um, and that's the only negative. Whenever I see West Ham doing well.
1: To be honest, when you started that point about when you see these tweets from West Ham fans, I thought you were going to have a pop at Jim. I was just holding my breath there for a second, but you know we're all safe. It's Look only Alan. That. I'm Sugar. not
0: going to bite the hand that feeds me. I'm not that stupid.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's only uh, it's only Alan Sugar that you got beef with, which I think I can say as an Arsenal fan is uh, is more than fair. Sam, Jay, we're going to call it there for the Premier League weekend review show. Obviously, a massive weekend of not just Premier League action but big news, and obviously just to recap what we were talking about right at the top of the show. Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. Shaw has departed from Manchester United Michael Carrick is taking interim charge and we will be watching the situation at Old Trafford with interest. Sam, Jay, as always thanks so much for your time on a Sunday night No, that was relative, no, it's not. relatively painless ever. to be
0: honest with you considering what's going on. I enjoyed that
1: Great stuff indeed. Well, we am glad you enjoyed it, Jay. That's what we're here for. Uh, and obviously here on the Football Social Daily, we are here every single day with a brand new Premier League podcast. If you click subscribe on this episode, you can get that brand new episode every single day. Niall, Jim, Marley and the rest of the team will be back tomorrow, deep in da- diving deeper into Ollie Gates and what happens next for Manchester United and building up to a massive midweek round of Champions League games. Don't forget to check out the podcast then and we'll speak to you again. Very, very soon. Football's Social Daily. Find more great sport at
2: sport-social.co.uk. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere.
1: Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom?
0: Sorry, sorry, we're here. We
3: were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time.
2: (gasps) No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry.